No, oh, I'm going to the next bit. I'm going to the next bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Training loads, you think? Yeah, because we're talking about training loads. Okay, so should I do the... Okay. I think you're on a roll with training loads. Okay, all right, we'll do the intro at the end. Okay. What was up to? Hi and welcome back to The Connected Athlete. I'm joined here by Elkie and today we're going to be talking about training loads and overtraining. Over the years I've had a lot of conversations with parents about how do I get my athlete to where they're going? What are the things that I need to provide as a parent or even as a coach or a mentor? What are the things that I need to focus on to make sure that they get? The best out of their performance but also balance that out with the rest of their life. Often the conversation comes about because the athlete has started to show some potential and is getting into rep teams and potentially state teams and those things are starting to take their toll in terms of time. So athletes are having to go to their club training and their rep training, and then they have state training commitments, they have tournaments, they have competitions, they have all sorts of things that they need to combine and try and work out. One of the questions around that is, what training should they attend? Which ones are the most important ones? And what am I going to do to try and control that for my athlete? Because the athlete will want to go to all of them. Most athletes love going to training and playing as much as they possibly can and often more than one sport. Sometimes it gets to a point where there needs to be a decision made on are they doing multiple sports and can that change? Can we reduce the amount of training sessions they're doing in their non-dominant sport so that they can then focus on their dominant sport? It doesn't mean they need to give up. There are the sport because all of the research suggests that kids should be doing as many different sports as they can as a young person and not specialise early. And that's because it leads to better strength, conditioning, change of direction, reducing injury risk, improved balance, coordination, stability. There's so many things that are good about not just doing one sport. But prioritising the right training at the right time and not overtraining and not getting to training fatigue and competing fatigue is a really hard balance for some kids and parents particularly. So what do we do? Well, the answer is not exactly black and white because it does depend on the athlete. It depends on how long the training sessions go for, whether there's travel involved with those training sessions, whether they're doing other things on top of that. So for example, if they are playing soccer and they they play Saturday for juniors, Sunday they play in the senior competition, they train Monday, Tuesday, Thursday for their sport. They also go for a run two days a week. They go to the gym two days a week. They compete for the school in a different sport. They're also doing some swimming in the morning. We need to start to prioritise and pick out what is going to improve their performance and not pull away from their performance. And that's a balancing act in itself. 
So often this can be quite the juggle because you're negotiating not only with your athlete who wants to go to all of these things and doesn't want to give up anything, you're trying to have a conversation with a coach of each team and potentially the coach that might be looking after them in the gym, their swimming coach, their running coach, their sport coach, and it can become very difficult to work out what's going on. As I said before, there's not necessarily a strict answer, but at the end of the day, you need to make sure that the time spent doing these things is of a good quality. So if our athletes are going out for a run and they're just cruising around and not really getting anything out of their training, why are they doing this training? Is it recommended? Is it something they need to be doing? Could they be reducing the amount of time they're running but getting more out of that session by being deliberate about that training? Is the swimming a really good cross-training kind of situation so it's actually helping with their recovery? Well, that could be a thing. But if it's going for two and two and a half hours, that may not be the best option. Often it is the club training that needs to be the one that is affected. Because we want our athletes training at the highest level that they can. So there may have to be a sacrifice. That means that you as a parent need to have that conversation with your athlete and also with the coach. And that can be extremely difficult because that coach looks at their team and says, yeah, but I need them in my team because they are one of the better players. And without that player in the team or without that player at training, it does change the dynamic. And then you have other kids saying, well, why doesn't little Johnny have to go to training? I have to go to training. Why doesn't he have to go to training? So there's lots of things that we need to consider. What are your thoughts on, we've previously talked about, if you're injured, going to training is still a great option. <laughs> so for the kids that they're obviously not injured, but they shouldn't be playing due to chronic pains that come alongside playing their sport, such as netballers they most commonly get knee pain and avoiding impact and running around on the courts you know for rep for club for fitness avoiding all of those at once is probably best what are your thoughts on sending them to training being there with the team but not being on the court 24 7 basically it's a really interesting question because often we're trying to give them time out when they're overtraining, when they're doing too much, we want them to reduce the amount of training they're doing. If you send them to training, they're likely to be more frustrated by that because they're watching everyone else train. So it is a difficult balance. For example, I recently had an athlete who was training every morning and every afternoon and playing on a Saturday and a Sunday who had developed extreme fatigue and had had all sorts of blood tests with doctors and they were trying to work out why this athlete was so tired all the time. They went to a nutritionist. To be fair, they needed to eat more. That was rectified by his parents. The energy levels went up a little bit, but it wasn't really changing much. Then we had a look at the sleep side of things and certainly he was having some sleep issues. So addressing those uh, was really important. 
But at the end of the day, it actually came down to the amount of minutes he was training. And the parents involved were extremely good at trying to work out how how to help this athlete. The thing that we realised was he wasn't only just training in the morning and in the afternoon, he was going into his bedroom at night and doing you know, 100 push-ups, 100 squats, 100 sit-ups, and then during lunchtime at school he was playing soccer at school. And so if you added up all of the minutes that he was doing in a week, he was having not one day of rest, not one day off his feet resting. And for a growing body particularly, that is a huge thing because we need rest. We've talked about the importance of sleep and regeneration and giving our body that opportunity to recover. When we exercise, we put stress on our body. We have stress on our heart, stress on our muscles, stress on our tissues, our bones. Everything is impacted when we exercise. That's the good thing about exercise is it places a stress on the body Our body adapts to that. We get fitter, stronger, faster, more mobile, whatever it might be that we're training for. But we can push it too far to the point where we can't catch up, we can't recover, we can't regenerate, we can't adapt. And then our body starts to work in the opposite. It's being overtrained and overstimulated and overworked. And then it starts to drain on our system. We start to have increased fatigue more aches and pains because of the load. Being aware of how many minutes our athletes are on their feet doing exercise or in the pool or wherever it might be is really important. And there's no hard and fast rule, unfortunately, about how many hours we should be doing, but there's certainly recommendations around resting. So having days where they don't do activity, at least one day a week as a minimum, is really important. That's the day to recover. That's a that's a day when we prioritize not letting our body get into an exercise state that is detrimental to what's to come next. So when we talk about overtraining our athlete and what can have an impact, it, we need to also consider when they have an increase in their training load. So for example, they might normally train twice a week and play on the weekend, but all of a sudden school sport comes in and they're training for school sport during the week twice a week and then they've also got an extra game. Now that's, if you've gone from three sessions a week, so two trainings and a game, and then now you're going to four trainings and two games, that's a 100% increase on the load on your body. Now the intensity might not be the same, but we need to be aware of that because if you spike too much, your increased risk of injury is quite high. And the research shows that it's not necessarily the first couple of weeks that you will injure yourself. It's usually the third, fourth or fifth week where your tissue has been under load and you haven't let it recover and eventually it says, no, I'm not okay. I'm going to let you know that I'm not okay. So being aware of those spikes in load are really important. And the general rule around load is If you know that you're going to have an increase in your training time, so the amount of minutes that you train in a week, you should try and control some of the intensity of that. So gradually increasing the intensity in your sessions is the way to control a little bit of your load. Or 
So on the flip side of that, if we are training more and more, we need to make sure our nutrition is good, our sleep is good, that athletes look after their bodies to ensure that these injuries don't occur and they don't become ongoing injuries because their load is so high all the time that they just don't get that time to recover. Being aware of these things going into something like a tournament, for instance, so I can give a personal example here. Every year I go away to a tournament that goes for two weeks and we play up to eight games in 12 days and that's a huge increase in your intensity and volume during that time because most people train once a week, play once a week and that's it. So then to go to almost four games in a week is quite a significant increase in load. So being aware of that myself, I try and increase the amount of sessions I'm doing in the weeks leading up to that. So I might look at, okay, I've got a tournament in two months' time. I need to be increasing the amount of load and the amount of time that I'm spending doing my sport so that once I get into that tournament, I know I've done the minutes that I need to on my legs to actually get through that as injury-free as I can. Now, I'm a master's athlete, so that has its own challenges as well. Uh, so it probably is more relevant at my age um, to do that. The other part of that is being aware of how much you're doing to improve your tissue tolerance. For example, if I'm just going out and playing hockey, and I'm not doing anything else, then that doesn't necessarily improve my tolerance to an increase in my intensity and time on the pitch. And what I mean by that is strength training and learning to be stable and symmetrical and powerful and strong, those are the things that protect our body from training loads. And we see it all the time where our athletes will do a strength training program in the off-season, they'll do a program in the pre-season, and then their season will start and the first thing that they drop is their gym program. So they've increased their strength, they're moving really well, their power has improved, their stability is good, their change of direction is great, they've had great gains in the off-season, and then it is the thing to go. The problem with that is they start the season really well, but if you don't maintain it at least, your tolerance to those loads reduces over the season because you're only doing your skills and the things that you need to do for your sport. You're not maintaining your strength, and strength is what keeps you from being injured. And I have this conversation with athletes and parents a lot about not dropping those types of sessions during the season. You are much better off keeping at least as a minimum one of those sessions a week to maintain those strength gains, those power gains throughout your season than you are going for a long distance run. And it has to be prioritised. And the important part is that you're getting the right advice during that season around continuing to do some sort of resistance training, some sort of structured exercise program throughout that season so that the next time the season rolls around, 
you have maintained your strengths and hopefully increased it during that season so that the next season you build towards being stronger, more powerful, faster and more resilient to activity for the next season and then the next season. What we see is that kids start the season really well. Over that season it drops and they're almost back to where they were the season before and then you're rebuilding them again. I think it comes down to muscle efficiency. So if your muscle is more efficient in producing power, meaning it's stronger, over the season you won't get as tired during a game. We see it with our athletes recently who have started our strength program. They're saying how they feel fitter. And that can come down to because they're doing strength training and their muscles are more efficient. And overtraining is something that occurs because you can't tolerate the load. You can't tolerate the amount of times that every muscle that is being worked is contracting. There is that point at which our body says, I've had enough. I'm fatigued. I can't contract properly anymore. Then the load might change. It changes to a different part of the body or you get an injury. And it's as simple as that. If we are strong and our muscles are healthy and they are contracting maximally and being able to tolerate that for a long period of time, then our body won't be as injured. The flip side of that is that we recover more quickly because we can tolerate. So muscle soreness, whilst most people experience muscle soreness and it can be a good thing, it means that you have stressed your body to the point where you have small micro tears in the muscle fibres and part of the adaptation process and becoming more resilient to load is those muscle fibres repairing and being able to then adapt to that load and increase in size and increase in efficiency so that the next time you do that, you are getting a better outcome. I'm not saying that muscle soreness all the time is a good thing, but whenever you start something new or you're loading a little bit more, a small amount of muscle soreness is very good. It's saying you've loaded enough to get an adaptation, but it shouldn't be in every session. And those things should be guided by someone who is well qualified in strength and conditioning so that they understand what your body needs as an individual. I think a big question we ask our athletes when they come back to training after their first session with us is, did you get muscle soreness and was it symmetrical? So if they're getting muscle soreness on one side really, really bad in a specific spot, then we know there might be something up that we have to address. And that's exactly right. Asking people or asking our athletes how their body is progressing is really important also for them to understand how their body is feeling. For example, there's different things that can happen from overtraining. They can be tired all the time. That's a big one. But also they can be sore all the time. If they've got muscle soreness, joint soreness, just general fatigue and they feel awful, then they're the things that we need to be aware of with our athletes. A lot of people use wellness apps to track uh, athletes' mood and sleep and energy levels, soreness. They can be really good tools to identify when an athlete might be overtraining 
and we certainly use them with our athletes in different ways. The most important thing is watching them, looking at them, playing, understanding where they're at when they're at home. Are they more tired and cranky as teenagers? Are they more tired and cranky than they normally are? Are they struggling to do the day-to-day -day things? Do they start to say, oh, I can't be bothered going to training. I'm not enjoying it. Those things are signs that overtraining may be occurring for them. They may just be in a bad mood too. But um, having, I've had athletes that are overtraining that just stop eating food because they just feel unwell all the time. So as a parent and as a coach, it's really important that we identify when some of these kids are demonstrating overtraining markers. They're fatigued, they're grumpy, they're unmotivated, they're not playing well. Often when we're overtrained, we will not perform as we would normally because, again, we're not recovering, we're not getting back to our 100%. So then we're working at 95%. Then we might be working at 90%. If we don't get that time to recover, we really do struggle to keep up that performance level. And then there's the frustration around that. I'm doing all of this training. I don't understand why I'm not getting better. Or I'm not performing at the level that I need to. That's where the village comes in. They, we need to be identifying this for the athletes. They don't understand it necessarily. So we need to be keeping our eye out on um, each of the athletes. And that's part of your rapport building as a practitioner or as a coach or whoever might be involved, plus parents being aware of what might be changing for these athletes. Some of the indicators of overtraining are things that we need to identify as the village around the athlete and then have the conversation with them about how we can reduce the risk of overtraining and improve their performance as a result. Rest is our friend, and this is a really important thing to sell to the athlete, that rest can improve our performance. It's not missing out. It's not doing less than we need to be able to do. Training is about getting quality out of the time that we spend doing it and then resting when we don't need to. And that comes down to sleep, but also not attending some sessions that may be detrimental if we're demonstrating some of those things that are overtraining markers, then rest is the answer. The other part of avoiding some of the overtraining indicators is recovery. And we'll be releasing a 100-point recovery system that we use, very simple system with our athletes that can help us come up with our recovery strategies for the week. And it will be discussed further in our recovery podcast that will be coming up soon. So we hope that you've got something out of today and just remember that rest is your friend. I just want to let people know that this podcast is based on uh, a lot of experience in the industry and some of the conversations and questions that I've had throughout that career and by no means is it uh, specific advice and you can take what you need from the information and we hope that it starts to allow people to ask more questions or consider certain situations in a different way.